Blog Talk Radio. That opening music, that's how we know it's time for drive Through HR, right, Mike? That's right. That's right, Robin. And you let it play a little longer than usual today. I hadn't heard that last ending part before. So now how are you today? It's, uh, it's Tuesday I am good. and uh, again, <laughs> glad to be back. It's always good to be back. It's always good to be back. And, and uh, you know, I, I kind of had to chuckle because as we've um, – promoted our guest this week um he actually had the best line of <laughs> of pretty much any guest that we've had for quite some time um because as he put it i'm working in another kind of drive through <laughs> i'm hanging in another kind of drive through this yeah week. i think he said he's working another drive through this week yeah that's yep, that was yep. that was clever and i i love the cross promotion and the the relatedness of what we're going to talk about with with him today. So, Jamie Griffin, uh, welcome to Drive Through. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Say hi, Robin. Hi, Jamie. <laughs> How are you? Hi, Robin. <laughs> we still have these unsmooth segues. We need to have a script. More script. More script. Anyway, no. More something. So, Jamie, something. Or something, yeah, or less script maybe would be even better. Uh, Jamie, for, for the benefit of our audience, please uh, please tell them who you are and what you do and that kind of stuff. Absolutely. Thank you again for the opportunity. My name is Jamie Griffin, and I am a restaurant consultant that works with founders and franchisees and restaurant executives to grow and scale their companies. And I do that based on some practical experience I had spending 15 years helping a little restaurant chain called Raising Cane's Chicken Fingers, which some of your listeners will know of, um, grow from nine restaurants to over 300. So that's what I do, uh, and I'm happy to be with you today. We're glad to and, have and you. And you here. know, I I can't let that we can't let that um, that Raising Cane's um, reference go past without, um, you know, giving, giving a little nod to the fact that it was founded here in Baton Rouge, where I am, and where Jamie was working with them for a number of years. And uh, it's it's like a, a cultural uh, touch point, <laughs> certainly in Louisiana, um, that everybody, you know, just wants the, uh, not just chicken fingers, but um, kills for that that cane sauce, which of course, you know, as I teased Jamie, you know, you can release the recipe, but we know what his answer is going to be. Robin, we we would one hundred percent have to make sure that you <laughs> never could speak again if I showed that <laughs> recipe. But I I do have the recipe, and I think my family is really happy about that, especially when I'm back down in Louisiana boiling crawfish with them. Oh yeah. I, I that that's that's the greatest thing about Louisiana, and as you as you guys commented earlier, Robin, you guys rare that we have uh, guests from the same area code on the phone. So you guys are, are I know. practically neighbors, but even more importantly, Louisiana is like one of the. And I'm like I'm I'm telling you something you don't know. Louisiana is such a great food scene, and uh, 
just, I don't know, it's just, it's fun. But anyway, Jamie, um, restaurant industry, how, how did you get started there? I worked in a restaurant industry as a college student, so it's a little bit different, but we share that at least a little common background. But how did you get started with Canes? Yeah, you know, it's funny that you said something about Louisiana and food and how good the food is, and I certainly miss it, and uh, can cook everything, you know, jambalaya, gumbo, oh, you're et cetera. Nice. That's right. I am in Dallas now, yeah, so I have to go home to get my mom's home cooking, but uh, I I, I cook it for my friends here, and it's really funny that I worked at Raising Cane's, and I'll tell you exactly how I got to work there in a second, Um, and all we sold was chicken fingers, Texas toast, coleslaw, and french fries with special sauce Robin was talking about, and people were like, the founder of the concept is a guy named Todd Grace, they're like, how how the hell is that going to work? You're cooking tenders or chicken fingers for people who eat some of the best food in the world. And uh, so it was, it was, it was always like funny to me. Like even when I started working there at 21, I was like, I I mean, this is a job, but I'm not sure if this has a future. And sure enough, now they're in 20 something States with hundreds of restaurants and even in the middle East and multiple countries there. So uh, all that journey started because I was a really poor and broke college student who had a cell phone (laughs) bill who needed that needed to be paid, which is how a lot of our folks find jobs in the industry, which is there is a extreme financial need and they're out there looking for a job. And I was lucky enough to stumble upon an office assistant job working at this restaurant chain called Raising Hands Chicken Fingers. And at the time I had never eaten there, which meant I wasn't a cool kid because all the cool kids knew exactly what this chain was. Um, mm-hmm. So I went to eat there for the interview. I interviewed, I told some really terrible jokes in the interview and they hired me anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. The, yeah, I know, because well, I, I was waiting for Jamie to continue, because of those 15, yep. that entirety of those 15 years there, take us through that transition, because it's, it's fascinating where, yeah, where no, you it's... went and where the organization went. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that uh, question, because it was fascinating, uh, and you know, I say opportunity meets preparedness, and I don't know if I was necessarily prepared for what my journey was going to be at Raising Cane's Chicken Fingers, but... I started as an office assistant. There were nine restaurants. There were a handful of us working in the office. It was very rambunctious. Uh, There were very few rules. Uh, There were, you know, we we really were like this crazy family. Uh, And our receptionist quit. And I said, look, instead of hiring a receptionist, why don't you let me do that job during the summer, during my summer break, and you find the best receptionist we can get. And they did that, and right as they found the receptionist, the office manager quit. And they're like, look, why don't you quit school and become the office manager? And thinking of my parents, I said, why don't I don't quit school but go to school part-time and start working with you full-time? And that became this, like, really fascinating journey. Uh, And for anybody who is a listener today who's working in one of these uh, entrepreneurial or startup environments, The journey for me really became how can I grow and learn and develop as this 20-something-year-old in this great opportunity job? Uh, Mm -hmm. So I had to grow or outgrow every one of my managers. So when when they were looking to go, okay, we need more people, we need to grow, we need to expand, instead of saying Jamie's really not going to grow beyond where he is, so let's hire him a boss. 
they would promote me and allow me to build a team. And I kept doing that until I became the head of HR risk and legal for them. Uh, fast forward, we, we opened an office in Dallas, which was, I was a big part of, um, and I got to build a team there that did some really phenomenal work taking care of uh, over 10,000 employees working across 17 states, including some of the most difficult to restaurant operate restaurants in, uh, and, and you know, doing all kinds of interesting and exciting things, but also doing a lot of firefighting, you know, a lot of dealing with regulation, a lot of uh, dealing with, you know, new ideas from the founder that needed to be executed so that we could see his vision through to what it's becoming today at Raising Cane's. Yeah. Yeah. That's um, very, you know, I think it's interesting what you said a second ago for two reasons. One is you mentioned startups and food service, right? That's not what most people think of. I don't think today when you talk about startups, it's got to be technology. It's got to be, you know, something cool, not just chicken fingers. And I don't mean, I'm saying that um, sarcastically, I guess, uh, or ironically. The, the, the thing that, that fascinates me about the restaurant industry, Jamie, is that it's, I think it's the second largest employing industry in the United States. And there are a lot of companies doing great HR work. And I don't think that people recognize that when you could just run into the drive through at whatever your restaurant of choice is. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So maybe ask the question a different way, Mike, because I want to make sure I answer it spot on for you. I, I, yeah, I think, I think the restaurant, well, so like fight for 15, you hear a lot of talk about low wage workers, employees going to, we'll come back around to that. I think the restaurant industry is not seen by many uh, customers as the employer of choice you know, the Burger King or whatever. And, you know, I'm not trying to pick on a brand, but it's, it's oh, cumulatively, it's the, one of the largest employers of people in the United States. And it's, a, it's rich to, to your story that you just sold. It's rich with opportunity, but I think it's hard for people to appreciate that sometimes. And so like, how, you know, how do you, how do you hire, how do you build when, when it's not cool to work at a fast food restaurant or whatever, I guess is the question. Yeah, I know. So I would start with the real reality that, to your point, the restaurant industry is a huge employer. There are all types of startups. There are many independent chains, many, many independent chains that are run independently, but that will eventually become two and three and four and hundreds and thousands of restaurants. So I I really do think about it not only as an employer, but also as an employer of people who can't go anywhere, right? Like we can automate some things in the restaurant industry, but we cannot move those jobs to another country. Think, you know, they're here. All of these service jobs like uh, working in a salon or working in a restaurant or working in a hotel are going to stay in the U.S. And they're really a good inflection point or a starting point for so many people in their career. I don't know what the statistic is today, but I know at one point um, I was at a conference and I heard that one in seven Americans have worked for McDonald's at some point in their life. Hmm. One hmm. in seven Americans. So if we went into a room, you know, any room really, uh, and said, hey, raise your hand if you've ever worked in the service industry, you would see so many hands go up, probably half the room. Oh, yeah. It really depends on the audience, right? And so, uh, so it's a huge employer. It's also a very huge employer of young kids, fewer of whom are working, which is creating some challenges for the industry in terms of recruiting, which is probably the number one complaint or concern or opportunity I hear from clients. Uh, and when we hire those folks, we have a huge responsibility. Uh, you know, we get to train them on working hard, 
We get to train them on having a good time and enjoying work, you know, on, on providing customer service, on, you know, working in the back of house, all of these really important skills. And the reality is we get those workers the way we get them. And the story I always tell is I was in a friend's restaurant and she had asked one of the new workers just to sweep the floor. And it's hard to intimate on the phone, but this poor kid was just like brushing the broom back and forth in random directions. And I had to walk over and I'm like, Hey man, are you new here? (laughs) And he's like, yes, sir. I'm new. I'm like, great. You have manners. We like that. We can work with that. And I'm like, when we're brooming, we have to pick a direction and we have to move in that direction with the debris. And I really had to train him on how to sweep. So I just, I think that's a funny example, but the reality is when people get workers who work in the food service industry or any of the hospitality world, they're getting people who truly understand customer service. They know how to get dressed for work and dress appropriately. They know how to treat people. Uh, You know, they're typically hardworking if they made it any length of time in our industry. Um, And so, you know, it's, it's one of the reasons I get so excited about the work I do working with restaurant chains and founders is it's a huge part of the economy, but also if we can really make a difference in the lives of the workers in that world, we really can make a huge difference uh, and make some giant ripples in the workforce in America or even around the world. Well, and I, you know, and I think that, the food the service, um, the, you know, the food service industry, the, I'm just going to say hospitality to to really kind of lump lump beyond just restaurants. But um, you know, when my my time at uh, working at a couple of casinos, we certainly embraced the same very similar concepts. Whether it's on that food and beverage side, whether it was on the housekeeping side, the operational side, um, you know, the hotel front desk side, whatever. It it truly is. If somebody comes in as a Twenty, twenty-one, twenty-three, whatever doesn't even matter what age, but they come into that entity. Um, most of those hospitality and service companies want want that person to will do whatever is in their power to get them to stay, to help them grow, to help them learn. Um, it can be definitely a place where people can go in and build build a meaningful career. Um, because most most of those organizations are going to train in house. Um, they're going to have the resources internally to to work with people to give them those opportunities. I think that's really special and unique about a lot of hospitality type industries. That um, to Mike's point, we really just don't hear about unless you're you know when you're outside of that industry, you really don't hear about all those really cool HR and people development and talent development things that are going on. Yeah. The, uh, Hilton, agree, which, sorry. Hilton just won, you know, a service industry, right? So Hilton, I think, was just the number one on the Fortune list of top companies. I know there's different opinions about how much that means, but I think a service company landing at the top is, you know, much different than in past years when it was usually a tech company for the last few years. Um Jamie, you, you, you said you went from nine, empl- nine employees in the or I'm sorry, nine restaurants to 300. I think was what you said. How how do you meet that kind of challenge? Because it, it sounds like it was pretty fast paced. How do you deal with that as an HR person, especially when you're not as tired as the HR person to begin with? 
<laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, you know, it's it's all it's it's an amazing experience to be part of. I always tell people like it. It also wears you out. It's really hard work. Um, there are a couple of things that we really had going for us. Um, the first of which is I had a founder that I was working with for, who had a very clear vision and clear values, and he lived that vision and he lived those values and that made my life a lot easier, right? Like I knew what the big picture was and we just had to break it down into very doable subparts or milestones. Um, And, you know, we constantly had to work to make sure that we were evolving the culture of the business in a way that was healthy. And so that culture becomes a big question mark when you're or a big topic when you're the head of HR for a growing organization. The, the, the example I oftentimes point to is when we have five people in the office, I can get you exactly what birthday cake you want, like your favorite. I can get your Nana to cook it because I can find her contact information and I have all that wherewithal and you're that, that uniquely focused in my intention. But when we have 100 people in an office – it's going to become difficult to do that. And as an organization grows, the culture has to evolve. It has to transform a bit. It has to, it has to be open to the reality of the size of business it is. Uh, you have to keep it special. You have to keep it in line with the vision and the values. Uh, but you also have to be willing to let some things go. You have to be willing mm. to pick up some baggage. Uh, you, know, you have to be willing to say, I'm going to embrace the new. I'm going to be changed forward. And I think young people are especially open to being change-oriented. So working with a younger group of people as they experience that, especially in a world where everything's changing all the time, um, is really helpful. And then I think you have to embrace progress over perfection. So you have to be comfortable that, you know, we're going to roll something out, and we want to be really effective in rolling that out or affecting that change but we're willing to revisit it in three years or two years or two months if needed if we know that the business has evolved beyond it or some other system has been implemented that impacts it. Uh, you do yeah. your very best to make sure that the solution of today does not become the problem of tomorrow, but many mm-hmm. times you know when you roll out a solution that it is going to create ripples of issues other places, and everybody has to give everybody a break because perfection is going to halt the whole operation and stop growth entirely. Um, yeah. So you really do focus on that progress over perfection. I love that. I just I just actually wrote that down on a sticky note. Embrace progress <laughs> over perfection. I love it. I love it. Um, Want to do a quick reset? We are uh, about twenty minutes into our show, so we've got just about ten minutes left. And uh, anybody who's joining in now, our guest today is Jamie Griffin, who is a uh, restaurant uh, executive consultant working with a lot of um, leaders and founders of, of various restaurant groups as they scale. So um, thanks to Q, our sponsor, and let's continue our conversation. And, and let me ask something that Mike alluded to a little bit earlier, um, and that is the impact. What has the impact been? What is the impact? How are owners of restaurants and managers of restaurants dealing with the uh, fight for 15 or with those areas of the country where minimum wage has already gone up or is going to be going up what what sorts of challenges does that place on on the industry 
Robin, that's a really large question, and I appreciate <laughs> your – I admire that you feel that I'm ready for that question, and I'll do my very <laughs> best for your audience. <laughs> we uh, – you know, I think about this topic a lot. Um, I'm just going to categorize this as uh, increasing wage pressure, and increasing wage pressure is coming from a few different root causes, one of which is Fight for 15 – local legislatures, city legislatures, really deciding that um, minimum wage needs to go up. Uh, and there's a conversation around that, and it's happening, right? There are places with, you know, much higher minimum wages than the federal government. And one of yeah. the challenges clients in the chain atmosphere have is just keeping up with what is the wage and where. Uh, but, but the second thing is that uh, the second cause I think you have to be realistic about is supply is very low for talent, Right. So Mm -hmm. on top of or accelerating this issue with fight for 15 and waging rising minimum wage, we have fewer kids working. Uh, We have, you know, the lowest unemployment we've had in decades. Uh, We have Uber and uh, delivery services and gig economy competing for workers we traditionally could get into. So a a lot of clients are really struggling with recruiting and retaining people. And I always say it in those two buckets. I think people have to, are, you know, my particular clients and anybody out there who's in the service industry, hospitality, hires a lot of uh, entry-level wage workers, has to be really cognizant. Like, do we have a retention problem or a recruiting problem, or do we have both? Mm-hmm. And if we have both, let's diagnose the retention problem first so, so we don't have people walking out the front door once they've been hired and then work on the recruiting problem. Uh, yeah. The second thing we see is wage pressure. And uh, in terms of the wage, wage pressure, I have a lot of clients going, should we be raising, should we be paying more, you know, four or five or six dollars more than the minimum wage? And my answer is really no. Uh, I, I would rather you do the hard work, which, by the way, building great cultures, building strong businesses is a hard work task. There are a lot of people who have tools who are going to say, I'm going to make your life easy. There are a lot of people who say, oh, it's not that complicated. It is hard work. It's hard work to have an ecosystem where you have well-trained managers with soft skills that are A players where, you know, other A players want to work for them and want to stay working with them. They feel like the organization is really organized, you know, in the restaurant, you know, they have the equipment they need. They have the tools they need where they need them. That doesn't just happen, you know, and, uh, and so you've got to do that hard work to build a good culture to retain people. And if you do that, I really think that you can pay people what they're worth. If you take what I would say is like a silver bullet approach or an easy approach where you just succumb to the wage pressure very quickly, and I get that there are some crisis emergency situations where restaurant leaders feel this needs to be done. But the second yeah. you, you know, Robin, from your experience in the casino, right? The second you mm-hmm. pay somebody two or $3 extra, you have a whole line of people at HR saying, well, I feel the same way. I, I deserve that. And quite honestly, you don't have a great reason to tell them no. And because you haven't worked yeah. hard on building a great culture, you end up having to charge your customer for a lower level experience because you have all these people that you've overpaid, but aren't trained the restaurant or the organization's not organized, et cetera. So, you know, I kind of, I'm a very holistic person. I'm very systematic. Like let's look at what our real problems are. Let's sequence and prioritize those and start fixing them the old fashioned way, which is by being really thoughtful and smart, but also putting in the work that it takes to get the results. Other people aren't willing to work for. 
Well, and I, you know, and I think one of the challenges with that, and and I've always really kind of employed that same approach as well. One of the challenges, which is hard sometimes for the very linear thinking executives um, who just, you know, they well here here's an issue. Let's just you know do this, cross it off the list, move on to the next thing. Boom, boom, boom. Very linear. Do 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 do. If you're not looking at at the situation holistically and realizing there's all these moving parts that are interconnected and you may be working, you need to be able to work on something to understand if that's what's impacting, i.e., let's deal with some cultural things that are, you know, we believe are impacting retention. Um, But you also simultaneously have to be aware of all the other facets of that, you know, from a people side, that employee life cycle that that is being affected. Um, and it's not a linear process. It is looking at everything collectively, um, which, to your point, does it does take time. It, it, it is a thoughtful exercise. It's hard sometimes to convince the stereotypical finance guy that, um, you know, it's not just a matter of having a project plan on a spreadsheet that you can, you know, check, 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 done, done, done. Um, it's bigger than that, which also makes it fun. Um, yeah, I agree. I mean, I we, think you've got to look for a root cause and then work work on that. And uh, trauma breeds tra- change, and oftentimes the executives just see the trauma and want it to go away in one to two days. And there's a practical reality that we all on the on on today's podcast know is not doable. <laughs> so. We we don't have any anywhere near the time that it would take to address this. I'm not going to ask a lot of a big question, but I think the I think in the restaurant industry. Uh, particularly all the hotels to some extent, I guess, all this stuff is further complicated by dealing with uh, those companies who have franchised operations, right? Because now you got to, I don't, I don't think Keynes was franchised, but I don't know. Do you, have you experienced much on that side? Yeah, no, I have. We do, we did, at Keynes does have franchisees and I am a consultant to franchisees. And it is fascinating. It's especially been fascinating for me working both sides of a business, working with a franchisor and working with a franchisee. And you're right, that is probably an entire podcast. And, uh, <laughs> you know, this, the solution, I think, Mike, like to this challenge that the franchisor franchisee has um, is that the franchisor really does have to take a very clear and active uh, step toward, you know, communicating the vision and the values and the brand pop proposition, et cetera, and talking about how, you know, some of the HR systems fit into that. And then I think the franchisee really has to clearly listen to that and embrace it in a way that they can execute with the team they have on the ground near that operating location. So there's definitely some give and take and, you know, legal things and uh, other aspects make it more complicated. Um, so it, it's harder. It takes more work. It takes more communication. It takes more effort. Uh, the winners put that effort in, and I think the people who struggle with it try to just, you know, cover their eyes and pretend like it's not an issue at all. Hmm. Great. Yeah. Well, Jamie, tell us, um, we've got a couple of minutes left, so um, let our listeners know where they can find you, your website, your Twitters, all of that sort of stuff, and, and where you'll be hanging out perhaps in the upcoming future, any events you're going to. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, my name is uh, Jamie Griffin. So Jamie J. Griffin for almost everything. Uh, Instagram, 
you know, one of my hobbies is photography. One of the others that bring Robin and I together sometimes is cocktails. <laughs> uh, yes. So if you visit Jamie J. Griffin on Instagram, you'll see my photography. Most of it is really beautiful. Some of it may be out there. Uh, on Twitter, I'm also Jamie J. Griffin on LinkedIn. It's linkedin.com slash Jamie J. Griffin. Uh, my company website is goodworkforce.com. So it's www.goodworkforce.com. And in terms of travel, I'll be in New York uh, for St. Patrick's Day. I'll be in New Orleans for Mardi Gras. Uh, I may not be totally coherent when I'm in New Orleans for Mardi Gras, but I'd love to see anybody who's down there or give give advice to anybody who's doing Mardi Gras for the very first time, as I'm sure Robin would be happy to do as well. And then I'll be leaving New York City from the St. Patrick's Day weekend and going directly to the Global Force Conference in Nashville. Uh, which I know a lot of folks will be at and uh, would love to have coffee or lunch or drinks with anybody out there who has a similar interest to what I've been doing in the restaurant business. Thanks. Jane. That's great. I'm not going to be at work human, sadly, but I'll see you next time. <laughs> we will miss you. Robin, will you be there? I will be there. And, um, and at this stage, unless the world intervenes, um, plan to be, at uh, at Rex and Zulu on Mardi Gras Day. That's my plan to New Orleans outing this year. So maybe I'll find you there, too. Maybe the world will conspire in our favor, Robin. <laughs> maybe. That would be awesome. Well, good. Thanks well, for thank being you our so guest much for today. joining us. Thank you for having ahead, me. Sorry. All right. Thanks, everybody. Another great episode of, uh, of Drive Through. <laughs> and uh, next week our guest is um, going to be talking about recruiting so it's uh Uh-oh. it's going to be a good a good show next week and uh have a good tuesday everybody you too take care bye Jamie. bye robin bye have a good one <laughs>